The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio. It's time now for the Doctor's Lounge Show with Dr. Scott Barber. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Doctor's Lounge. I'm Dr. Scott Barber, and you're listening to me on America's Web Radio. It's great to be back with you all. I've missed a couple of shows. I've been out doing some things. I recently was out in Las Vegas with one of the UFC fighters that I sponsor, Cody Durden, and that was a great experience. Cody, I think he's on a four-fight win streak now, and uh, he won a unanimous decision against his opponent and just put on a fantastic fight, and it was really an exciting time for me. For those of you who don't know me, uh, I'm an incredible MMA enthusiast. I love uh, watching the sport. I actually am a brown belt in Krav Maga right now. And uh, I really enjoy the sport. I love the discipline. I love the culture. And being able to see the UFC from the inside is uh, really cool. Cody did such a good job during his fight that the boss, Dana White, wanted to see him in his private room. And so we were summoned to go meet him. And he was uh, absolutely amazing. Uh, and it was a really fun time uh, meeting him. And uh, just a great a great uh, visit out to Vegas, and I look forward to Cody's next fight. I think he's going to be in the top 15 now, and so it won't be long before he is UFC champion. So Cody Durden, uh, custom-made is his uh, nickname. Look him up. Uh, he's really, really a great fighter, and he's got great things coming up. But it's great to be back with you guys, and you know, when I talk – about medicine. I'm always trying to advocate for free market healthcare and I'm always trying to sound the alarm on the one size fits all government run top down, uh, single payer, uh, socialized medicine system that is really about denial of care. Uh, it not only denies care to the patient, but it snuffs out any incentive for providers to be good at their job and to provide it. I see examples of this every day and it's so frustrating. Uh, I work primarily at my own practice, and I'm fortunate to have my own surgery center, my own clinics, and so the vast majority of my work happens in my own environment, and it's so far superior to these government-run hospital systems that have really become huge political entities. They're places for wealth redistribution. Taxpayer money is distributed around uh, at the behest of uh, left-wing politicians, and we've d- discussed how this happens on shows uh, previously. And as I've gotten older and the more I see, I get more and more cynical. Um, I'm starting to look at the world around me. And it doesn't matter what the issue is. Uh, we're descending into this deterioration of our society, the fabric of our society. Everything normal is being taken down. Uh, I'm seeing uh, posts of kids who are getting in trouble because they say that there are only two genders and somehow this has become a controversial thing. And it's just crazy. And I feel that simply talking about medicine is no longer uh, what's important. It's the overarching issue here that our country is descending into a socialized authoritarian government and we're losing our freedoms day by day. And, you know, I feel like I'm at an age, I'm old enough to have some experience. I've had experience in medicine and academia and business. Uh, I've been around politics a lot. And I'm seeing a picture 
that a lot of other people haven't seen because they don't have access to the same information and they don't have the same perspective as me. And so I feel like we've gotten to the point now where it's not just about healthcare. It's about saving the world. And I really do mean that because as the United States goes is how the world goes. The rest of the world enjoys freedom uh, to the extent that they do because the United States is there to oppose the totalitarian dictatorships that fill the void where the United States doesn't have influence. We're the beacon of light. And I know it's uh, somewhat an anachronism to say that to people. Young people today are brought up on a steady diet of how awful this place is, how racist we are, and, and what a terrible place it is. But that's just the beginning of the examples of how we're being told to not believe our lying eyes, but what we're told. So we're told that this is the worst place on earth, and yet people risk life and limb to try and get here. We know that Joe Biden is going to allow Title 42 or Title 42 is going to elapse. And this was the uh, COVID ruling that forced uh, asylum seekers to stay in Mexico rather than flood across, across our border. And we've seen through drone, drone footage that there are, uh, I don't even know how many people, thousands if not millions of people lining up on the southern border, getting ready to cross as soon as uh, Title 42 uh, expires. And this is just another example of how this authoritarian government is breaking down our society. I kind of want to give you guys a little bit of perspective of where I'm coming from in terms of how I view the world. For people who know me now, I guess I would be considered a psychotic right-winger, I think of myself as just being normal. Uh, I want to be a free person. I believe in God. Uh, I believe in honesty, integrity, accountability. I believe in fairness. I believe, uh, you, you know, in the traditions that have made societies successful. Uh, protecting innocent life. We protect children. Uh, I believe marriage is between a man and a woman. Uh, having been a father uh, and raising children with a father and a mother. It's obvious to anybody who's had kids that mother provides things to their children that fathers can't provide. They have a nurturing quality about them and fathers provide uh, things to their children that mothers can't provide. And that's why one man and one woman raising children is optimal. Now, listen, that is not to say that other scenarios don't work. Uh, single motherhood uh, it, it can be successful. But when you compare it to a nuclear family raising their children, there's it's undeniable that the nuclear family is better equipped to raise children to be uh, happy, productive members of society. And so that is my mission in life. I will be trying to share my wisdom in a world where my opinions uh, have become hate crimes and thought crimes, and we see an ever-rising authoritarian state that is trying to silence people that try to make statements or comments that are against the regime's narrative. And it scares me at how willing people are to allow uh, censorship of thought. Uh, people are comfortable with this idea of eliminating one side of the argument. I mean, President Trump, love him or hate him, he was running for president and half the country, at least, uh, was in support of him. And big tech just decided to take him off platforms and prevent us from hearing hearing him. And their argument was 
that they had to censor his misinformation and make the world safe uh, from hearing anything that he had to say. And in the world that I grew up in, that is just so anathema to what the United States is about and what America is about and this freedom of ideas. And, you know, everything that is honest and good and righteous is just being abandoned. And I just don't understand why so many people are willing to go along with this. And I, I get it on some level for us to make statements that are just simple observations of fact and things that should not be controversial is risking being eliminated from polite society, losing your job, being kicked out of school and all sorts of things. And so saying things like, uh, marriage is between a man and a woman and that, that nuclear family raising their children, even though that's been, uh, the successful way of doing things for 5,000 years. Now this is somehow some evil, horrible thing to say. The idea that there are two genders, which is just so factually correct, male and female, that's all there is. And problems with that are, are problems. They're abnormalities. And, Nobody is saying anything about hating on people or treating people unjustly or making life miserable for people. It's just there are things that are normal and there are things that are on are, that are not, you know. And we're living in this transgender world where uh, if you say anything against giving hormones, blocking puberty to children, uh, that causes permanent damage to their bodies – and performing surgeries where you're chopping off the genitals of of prepubescent girls and boys under this idea of gender affirming care is just so outrageous uh, that it's it defies belief. And I just kind of want to talk today a little bit about uh, all of this stuff and see if we can put some semblance of rationality or or at least get people to see the playing field. Now, the argument that the left and the right uh, have been having since the beginning of time is about the way to run things. And generally speaking, the left believes that there should be a small number of the smart people that make the decisions for the dumb people uh, and that there will be a just society. And they're always trying to achieve uh, utopia, you know, this perfect world where nobody is wanting for anything and, uh, you know, everybody has access to everything and any sort of situation that falls short of that, uh, the left will say, see, we can't do it because everything is not perfect. And they never seem to note that what they're offering is the worst thing ever, right? The socialism of the 20th century is responsible for more mass murder than anything we've ever seen. And they, you know, they lead the, the policies of socialism lead to destitution and poverty and violence and murder. We see it over and over again, most recently in Venezuela when Hugo Chavez took over. And yet the left doesn't seem to ever learn from, <laughs> from their, their eyes what, what's going on with their policies. And, you know, in my own life, I've had experiences where I realize sometimes the unspeakable happens. Sometimes the problems that we face are unfixable. And I think of uh, my friend Christopher Miles, 20 years old, died of a brain tumor in front of my eyes and having to be the one to make the diagnosis and having to be the one to tell his parents uh, that that he had this brain tumor and trying to be there for them as he died over two years. It was brutal and it was unfixable and the wounds can never go away. 
Um, I tell the story about the young girl when I was in residency. Um, you know, we used to get called uh, for uh, when people would, when kids would have uh, infections with meningococcemia, they would, these emboli would sometimes cause a loss of blood flow to the extremities. Could be, you know, a finger, or a toe, it could be an entire leg, an entire arm, and sometimes these emboli were cutting off blood flow were catastrophic and I got called to go to the room of a girl who's I don't know seven or eight years old she was wearing her white pajamas and she had her parents had brought in her you know her home bed covers and all that kind of stuff so she was in a hospital bed but the parents did their best to make it appear as if she was in her room at home and she had her little white bear with her and uh, I went in and I pulled the sheets up on her legs and from the mid shin down the, her legs were mummified. I mean, they were gone. And she looked up at me and she said, and I, I, you know, I'm, I'm getting choked up now as I think about it. And gosh, this is coming up on 25 years ago. She looked at me and she asked, clutching her bear, are my legs going to be okay? And I was just so overcome with emotion and despair. I didn't know what to say. And I, you know, I was trying to access the memory banks of my training. What do I do in a situation like this? And the reality was I didn't have anything to say. I got into bed with her and I sat next to her and we, we watched TV and, uh, I didn't really say anything. I just sat with her. And sometimes I think maybe that's the only thing you can do is, is just be there and hold on to people who are suffering. I just had a friend of mine that I've known for a long time. He just died of cancer. He just, uh, in his forties, uh, he just recently got married and he had terminal cancer and, and now he's gone. And you, you know, you can go on and on with these things that are, that are unfixable. But the thing that I have found that's made this world tolerable and made it not only tolerable, but, but hopeful and, and wonderful and amazing is, is the, uh, the ability to find God. And I know that sounds trite to a lot of people, but I've shared the story on this show a lot of times before. I'm like a typical American. I was raised in a country where uh, Christianity is is looked down upon and and they take every opportunity in movies and, um, you know, they took prayer out of the school. We see coaches that try to lead their team in prayer, a football team in prayer. They get they get uh, attacked and they lose their jobs and all this kind of stuff. And I was sort of a victim of that propaganda where I felt that, uh, you know, all of the wars are over religious problems and, you know, all the problems we have are due to religion. And if we could just get rid of that, everything would be great. And then as I was applying to medical school, one of the people interviewing me asked my opinion on it. Of course, I shared it and regretted it because he said, to me that, well, that's one way of looking at the world, but in my own situation, when my son was killed in the fire, I could not have survived that event if I hadn't had my faith in God. And that was really the thing that opened up my mind. Um, I started reading C.S. Lewis, and C.S. Lewis is an amazing, I think he's an Irishman who uh, was uh, uh, an atheist setting out to disprove the existence of God, and all he did was convince himself that God existed. And I'm not here to be, um, you know, uh, I'm not here to proselytize you. I'm not here to try and convince you. I'm not here to have a debate or an argument with people. I don't know enough to do that. But I can tell you in my own mind that <clears throat> the the reason that we believe in God is not because the Bible tells us to. The reason is because first century witnesses 
of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ told us that that God did exist and that Jesus uh, came down and died on the cross for our sins. And when you look at the fact that his disciples were willing to face unspeakable torture uh, and all they had to do was forsake Christ and they were unwilling to do it, crucifying, being crucified upside down and things like that. And the fact that the Roman Empire trying to use all of their power to eliminate Christianity from the face of the earth. And within a couple hundred years, we had St. Peter's Basilica in the heart of Rome and Christianity became the official religion of Rome. How did these things happen? And so for me, the belief in the world of Jesus Christ has changed my life and given me a positive outlook and given me hope and given me joy in this life and the belief that there will be a time in the life after I'll be able to see my parents who are now gone from this world, but I'm going to be able to see them again. And I believe that. And so my life is more meaningful and more fulfilling. And it's much easier to deal with these uh, unfixable problems that I continue to see in my everyday life. And I try to be there for people. I've recently talked about uh, the young man that I did a hip replacement on from Colorado who got diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease. And this increasingly government-run healthcare system, this one-size-fits-all socialized medicine uh, system has been failing, and this poor guy couldn't get a diagnosis, and he had to come out to an orthopedic surgeon in Georgia to get the diagnosis is really unforgivable and unconscionable. Now, as I studied more over the course of my life, and listen, I'm not debating people, I'm just telling you where my mind is, and this is Many years of reading and studying to arrive at this, but when you look at the history of the world, before the life of Jesus Christ and his teachings, the world was predicated on a system of might makes right. The strong man took over, uh, powerful authoritarian warlords were the people who ran the world and individual rights uh, were not something to be considered, and this had a negative impact on production of wealth, because uh, as we tell the story, if somebody thought to themselves, I think I'll grow some apples, uh, they would be uh, disincentivized to do that because they'd think to themselves, as soon as I do all the work and get these apples to grow, some strong man's going to come in and steal them from me. And so they would be disincentivized from producing. But then with the advent of the Magna Carta, which was the first document that laid down the rights of man based on the idea that our rights come from God and the the development of Western civilization and the rule of law that encouraged people to do things because we now had a rule of law where if I grew apples, that I would have property rights and the law would protect my property. And so that incentivized people to create wealth. And this was the beginning of capitalism. Um, or I shouldn't say is the it would dovetailed into capitalism, which is the free uh, interaction between buyer and seller, where agreements are made that are good for both the buyer and seller. And you know we know that the free market knows exactly what we want, how much of it we want. It provides the greatest number of goods, the greatest variety of goods. It product it promotes innovation and it gives us exactly what we need in the amounts that we need it and that we want it. Um, and, you know, as as uh, 
President Kennedy once said, a rising tide raises all boats. And this is another place where the left is always lying to us about the fact that one person uh, getting uh, becoming successful means another person has to fail. This is not true. You know, they talk about this income inequality all the time. This is utterly ridiculous. Bill Gates, who, you know, I don't think is a good guy, but uh, a lot of the things that he created in terms of computers and things like that made him wildly wealthy, more wealthy than I'll ever be. But my life has been made better uh, because of it. Now, he's done a lot of other things that have made my life a lot worse. But the point is that we live in a world where a one person's success doesn't have to occur uh, because another person uh, has failed or because another person has been taken advantage of. And this Western society built on Judeo-Christian values with with rights and the idea that our I, that our rights come from God, not from some government, and that we have free will and the willing willingness to uh, raise our families the way we see fit, and the idea that there is an afterlife if we follow God's word. This is the world that I want to live in. This is the country that the United States was predicated on, and. I want to live in a world, I know many of you do as well, where uh, we have a system that is caring, that's compassionate, that's understanding, that's nimble, that's open-minded, that's smart, cutting edge, high quality, and focused on the patient. That's the healthcare system that we want. We want to raise our children in a world that is good and caring. And we want to allow people to follow their dreams and allow their God-given skills to take them as far as possible. And we do understand that a rising tide does raise all boats and that as we become successful as a group, individual uh, individuals benefit from that. Um, you know, when I was uh, when I was a young man, when I was a boy, you know, my father taught me about virtues like honesty, integrity, accountability. He taught me about how to shake a person's hand and look them in the eye. He taught me that the most important thing you do in this world is honor your word. You know, that's how you're judged in this world is that when you tell somebody you're going to do it, you do it. My parents taught me to be generous. It's the most important thing. Generosity leads to self-fulfillment in a way that uh, people just can't realize. And as I mentor young people today, I'm always trying to tell them the best way to get in this world is to give first. And you shouldn't give with the expectation that you're going to receive somebody. You know, we call this the tit for tat. You know, if I do something for somebody, then they owe me. That is not generosity. The giving of things and, and giving of yourself with the expectation of nothing in return will lead to you receiving blessings from God and success beyond your wildest dreams. And I want to promote that system. And you might be asking yourself, hey, I thought I was listening to the doctor's lounge. Let's, you know, how does this play into healthcare? And what is, what is the way the world looks have to do with healthcare? Well, healthcare is an enormous tool that the authoritarian left is using to try and implement this authoritarian government that is taking away our civil liberties day by day. Now, we saw through COVID, at least for me, it's been going on for a long time, but I saw all of the things that this authoritarian leftist government is doing most clearly through COVID. And I think my unique, not I think, I know for a fact my unique perspective 
um, had to do with the fact that, you know, I was a doctor. I understood epidemiology. I understood coronavirus. I understood vaccines. I understood, you know, immunology. Um, I had access to information in the hospitals. I could see for a fact that patients were uh, being diagnosed with COVID, uh, being uh, you know, pronounced dead as the result of COVID when it was obvious COVID had absolutely nothing to do with it. I saw people on the computer. I saw it with my own eyes. The computer uh, demonstrated that their COVID test was negative, but yet they were given a diagnosis of COVID. I understand how the coding system works and how the American Medical Association put together an emergency code incentivizing people to diagnose um, COVID uh, and and as a result, they would give lots of taxpayer money to hospitals who designated this code. They were very sneaky about making sure that there was no copay from the patients. So if a patient was diagnosed with COVID, uh, they wouldn't get a bill uh, where they had a copay portion of that bill. It said, hey, you got to pay for this COVID. And they'd say, wait a second, I didn't have COVID. They made sure that that never happened so that the diagnosis and the money was changing hands. And so... The authoritarian government at a time when they need it was able to get their numbers up, um, in my opinion, and also allowed them to implement a lot of their, um, a lot of their policies that were really designed at controlling the population. And one of the biggest things we see is masks. Now, a lot of you probably don't realize it, but, uh, I want to say on May 8th, the CDC has, uh, changed their recommendations and now uh, they're talking about uh, mask uh, recommending masks again. Now, this is right on the heels of the Cochrane Library uh, meta-analysis of masks showing that the masks don't work in the prevention of uh, the transmission of these respiratory illnesses like COVID and like flu. And that includes the N95 mask, right? And I know that's heresy to say, but... You know, there's a thing in science when we when we look at things, there's in vivo, which is how things are in the real world. And then there's in vitro, what it looks like in the laboratory. And so the authoritarian left was very big during COVID on talking about uh, in vitro types of things like, uh, you know, how far a, a particle went if you were wearing a mask versus not wearing a mask, as if that had anything directly to do with the transmission. And the reality is that in a in vivo studies, even when you wear an N95 mask uh, that supposedly is uh, does prevent these viral particles from uh, getting into the atmosphere to some degree, uh, they still don't prevent the transmission. And you might ask why? Why is that? Well, in a laboratory, when you're just doing a single test with an N95 mask, you'll show yourself that okay, indeed, these filters do prevent the viral particles from getting out. But in vivo, when you're actually practicing, not every person has a new, clean, well-fitting N95 mask that is worn perfectly 24-7. People have dirty masks and they don't wear their masks all the time. Their nose itches and they touch their face. And it's these little things that cause the mask to not prevent the transmission of virus. And this is what the Cochrane Library... Now, the Cochrane Library is the repository of all things... Uh, medical, uh, that is the gold standard. And so we're living in a world where the Cochrane Library meta-analysis shows that masks don't work, and yet the CDC, this government-selected uh, body of so-called experts, gets to say, no, no, 
we don't care what the uh, we don't care what the Cochrane Library says. We're going to recommend masks anyway. And then if somebody like me tries to tell a hospital or, or bring it up at a board meeting, like, hey, why do we have to do this mask thing? They'll simply say, well, the CDC says so, and that's kind of the end of the argument. And that's the problem that we're living in today. One of these problems is that the left is trying to create these appeals to authority. And they want these uh, small number of experts that they get to pick to decide for the rest of us. And it doesn't matter what the science uh, says. It doesn't matter what common sense says. They're the ones who get to have the final say about it. Now, we've talked about all the different tactics that they use to control the way we think about things. Um, we've talked about it many times on this show. And sometimes I think I'm being redundant. But you know what? It's important that we all understand this stuff. Uh, the appeals to authority, right? Uh, this sort of designating experts like the CDC, the FDA, and HHS, etc. They have these joke uh, entities called fact checkers. And you know that anytime fact checkers are deployed on a subject, they're simply there to prevent you from seeing the truth. Uh, because there is no such thing as a fact checker. That's ridiculous. No one person or group of people are designated as authorities. That's not how science works. That's not how we arrive at truth. They like to label things misinformation. They use it as a justification for uh, limiting what we hear. So, for example, I was using the data that we've known forever about masks, and I would say masks don't work. And, of course, I was censored for it and attacked. And I was they, what they did was they said, this guy is spreading misinformation. Now, never mind that it turns out I'm 100% correct, right? That never matters. But they use it at the time to be able to get me uh, taken off of social media and, and you know, they threaten my license, all this stuff. The other thing is cancellation. They don't like somebody. They're being too effective. They simply cancel them. They have them fired. They'll work on, um, you know, making it so they can't make a living. Um, and They'll just ignore it. I mean, I just showed it to you, right? The CDC is now recommending masks wearing again, despite the fact that we just came out with the Cochrane Library meta-analysis, and they just act like it's not even there. There's no discussion of it. If I were to try and bring it up at a congressional hearing or something like that, I'd be slapped down. they just cancel it. They memory hole it. Um, and, you know, the memory hole. And I was going to play for you guys um, Gretchen Whitmer who is being confronted in an interview by somebody who's pointing out that Florida's numbers were better than Michigan's numbers. And Florida and Ron DeSantis opened up and didn't have mass mandates and all this stuff. And when presented with the CDC data, she just said, well, you know, I don't trust that data. And it's funny how when you're in the selected authoritarian group, you know, you get to say, uh, I don't trust the data. But if somebody like me tries to say your data is made up, uh, you know, I get obliterated and I went to go try and play this video and it's no longer available. And this happens so many times. I save this stuff because I want to share it for you and the powers that be big tech and all that. They simply get rid of it because they can't have a, a governor of a blue state out there saying out loud that she doesn't follow the experts. That simply can't be allowed to go. Then we have in medicine, we have these things called best practices. Now, always sounded weird to me when I was going through training, like, what are you talking about best practices? Like, if I'm the person who's practicing medicine, I'm an orthopedic surgeon, I've been practicing 30 years, how is some um, bureaucrat going to tell me what's best practices in the world that I've been living and breathing in for 30 years? And the answer is they can't do it. There is no such thing as best practices. 
Best practices is a made-up term that these people use to try and get free thinkers from going off the reservation. It's a way of corralling their experts and making sure that anybody doesn't go outside the authoritarian narrative. Um, they use this term evidence-based medicine, right? Well, evidence-based medicine would be the Cochrane Library just did a meta-analysis on masks and they don't work. But when the evidence doesn't go in their favor, they simply memory hole it, right? And then when they try to shut us up, uh, they'll say, well, the evidence shows because it's just the evidence they're looking at. You know, when they wanted us, you know, when it comes to the masks, you people have to understand we didn't learn a thing. All right. In COVID. Right. We didn't learn a thing. There's not a new piece of information we learned in regard to how masks interact with viral particles that we didn't know before then. This meta analysis and things has been done before. This study has been done before. That's why I was so vocal about it. I was like, wait a second. I've studied this stuff for like 30 years and I know they don't work. And then when they kind of got through the need to do the masking and it wasn't really politically necessary anymore, they allow this meta analysis for the Cochrane Library to come out. And is there, you know, does the HHS come out and say, hey, listen, when we said you needed to wear a mask, we made a mistake. Does the CDC say that? Does the HHS secretary say it? No, they just memory hole it. They act like it didn't happen. So we're going to talk a little bit more about these different techniques that they use to try and silence us and try to control our behavior when we come back. You're listening to Dr. Scott Barber on the Doctor's Lounge. This is America's Web Radio. We'll be back after this short message. Start taking back our country from the liberal wokes by voting locally for conservative Republicans. In 2009, the membership organization Docs for Patient Care was founded. People all around the country wanted to participate in the efforts of this group, and they wanted to join, but they were unable to do so unless they were physicians. It's for this reason that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation was created. Now, everyone can join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients, dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. While you're at your computer, please go to www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org and make a tax-deductible donation and join the fight along with us. Thank you. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. If you want the truth about politics, medicine, weapons, classic cars, and more, you'll want to tune in to America's Web Radio. You can listen to all of your favorite shows live at www.americaswebradio.com or on demand on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. That's www.americaswebradio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, everybody, to the Doctor's Lounge. You're listening to Dr. Scott Barber on America's Web Radio. And we are talking about how this authoritarian left is using healthcare to try and take away our rights and erode our civil liberties. And they use a bunch of techniques to do it. We've been talking about them for many weeks now. 
And um, despite the fact that uh, we have been attacked at this show and that we have been threatened, um, we're going to continue to try and bring you the truth. And the reason that we're doing this is because we're living in a world where the powers that be are uh, recommending uh, vaccines that have an increasing profile of negative effects on children, uh, children who have uh, virtually uh, no or I should say a minuscule risk of harm from COVID-19, uh, and yet the uh, American Academy of Pediatrics is adding the COVID vaccine to the vaccine schedule. And we also have this crazy situation that I really still can never wrap my head around where our medical institutions are supporting abusing children with uh, gender dysphoria, uh, with hormone blockers uh, and surgical procedures uh, where they're having their genitals removed uh, when they're children. And this is pure evil. And, uh, you know, when you try and bring it up, the left, tr- you know, they try to use this euphemism, gender-affirming care. Gender-affirming care for a little boy who thinks he's a girl or a little girl who thinks he's a boy is to help them work out their delusion and get them to see reality uh, going right to surgery with these very weak uh, diagnoses uh, is is evil. And I just can't understand how this is happening. I don't understand how I live in a world where if I say that um, masks don't work because they don't, and this is what I learned in medical school, it's a fact. It's been just supported by the Cochrane Library meta-analysis, and yet I'm still going to be brought up on charges at some point in the future probably for making this assertion. And it doesn't even matter Right. They just go ahead. The CDC and like they're still recommending masks. In fact, let's look at the latest um, CDC um, update on masks here. I just kind of copied it um, here. The updated CDC regulations uh, considerations. This is appendix consideration for implementing broader use of masking in the healthcare setting. Introduction. The use of well-fitting masks in the healthcare setting are an important strategy to prevent the spread of respiratory viruses. Well-fitting masks can help block virus protocols from reaching the nose and the mouth of the wearer. And if someone is ill, help block viral particles from coming out of their nose and mouth and reaching others. This is just a flat-out lie. It just is not true. And, you know, it's like I'm beating my head against the wall. I can just show you the Cochrane Library meta-analysis that says this isn't true. And so, you know, the CDC is supposed to be, not not for me anymore, but I mean for many of you out there, you hear, oh, well, the CDC says it, an authoritarian, uh, you know, entity, that then it must be true. And the fact is, it isn't true. And so... Um, I want to sound the alarm. We need to start raising the alarm. Uh, these institutions are threatening doctors who suggest masks don't work. And yet, uh, if you're a doctor and you get in the way of somebody who's seeking this so-called gender-affirming care, you're more likely to get in trouble for preventing uh, the mutilation of children than participating in it. And this is just, you know, a world I can't understand. Now, there's a doctor on Twitter and uh, his name is Dr. Ahmad Malik, and his Twitter handle is at Doc Ahmad Malik. And I like this. I like the things he has to say. He's a British surgeon, and uh, he's got about 98,000 followers. And I listen to him, but he did a post the other day, and I want you guys to listen to what he had to say. 
Good evening, everyone. Um, Ahmed Malik here. So I'm doing this video to update you about my last tweet. Um, earlier on today, I had an email from my medical director stating that they had an anonymous complaint complaining about my disgusting behavior online and for apparent misinformation. They don't like what I'm saying about the vaccine and they don't like what I'm saying about masks, for example. Strangely, the medical directors asked for a meeting to discuss all of this, which I think is slightly bizarre. I, every single time someone complains, does do I have to have a meeting to explain? Uh, does there have to be an investigation? I found one thing in life um, is that you cannot please everyone all of the time, every time. It's just not possible. So if this is just one anonymous complaint from God knows who, could be the 77th Brigade, could be the government, I don't know. I mean, it could be a real person, who knows. Um, I thought, well, what about all the people who would probably want to support me? Voila, yourselves. Um, I tweeted, would anyone want to support me? I've had almost 2,000 likes in two hours. I've had hundreds of people saying yes. And for that, I am grateful because I'm trying to stand up for medical ethics, for freedom, for liberty, um, to speak up regarding patient safety, and your support would really be helpful. I'm thinking of putting up a link tomorrow in which um, you can click and write your um, letters of support. Guys, I love you. Thank you so much. All right. So, you know, you might be asking, well, who's this Dr. Ahmad Malik and everything? I have no idea. He's some British surgeon. He's got 98,000 followers on Twitter. Uh, I don't know who he is. I don't know if he's a good doctor. I don't know if he's I don't know anything about the guy. I just know that what he's saying is happening to a lot of doctors and it's frightening and it should frighten you as well. He's making his personal opinions as a medical professional about vaccines and masks. And I'm here to tell you. There are opposing opinions on these things, right? Uh, I just showed you where the Cochrane Library uh, did a meta-analysis uh, stating that masks don't work in the transmission of these viral, uh, um, the, these respiratory viruses, including the N95, okay? And yet the CDC is saying that they're recommending masks, okay? Those are two opposing medical views right there. And as such, medical professionals ought to be able to get in the arena and debate these issues. And the idea that they're using these anonymous uh, complaints to try and censor people is very frightening. And listen, there are a lot of doctors, I mean a lot of doctors who are just like, I'm not getting involved. I'm not risking my job. And so what they do is they isolate themselves from the patients and they, they do uh, the things that we do in a bureaucracy. This is what one of the nefarious things and the insidious things about socialized medicine is it steals your doctor's allegiance from you to their employer. And so the doctor starts making decisions that are in the best interest of the doctor himself uh, and to protect themselves against the employer and not necessarily your best interest. And this is a really scary thing. And I'm always trying to articulate this. When I was, when I was young um, in, in medicine, there was a lot more of a collegial feel to what we did. And listen, medicine is a high pressure cooker uh, environment, like a lot of jobs out there. And I think any of you out there that have any job, you know, that when you're trying to accomplish a goal and, and uh, people are passionate that you have fights, you know, you argue about stuff. And I'm not going to, I'm going to tell you, sometimes I want to write a book about the literal fist fights that we used to have in the hallways when I was in residency over how to manage these patients and various things about, you know, what service a patient is going to be admitted to. Um, 
and we used to work out our own problems. You know, you had a, an issue with a different doctor and, you, you know, you'd fight it out and sometimes you couldn't resolve your issues. And so they used to have these and they still do. They have these entities called hospital arbiters. So if you have an issue that you can't resolve, it goes to an arbiter who's, um, who's uh, a, a hospital uh, administrator. And then the arbiter decides and that's the solution. Okay. Well, nowadays, Things are getting a lot more draconian. If people don't like what you did, they can write you up. They can write you up anonymously. This goes into your file. This can have implications of whether you get credentialed. And, you know, if you're an employee of the hospital system, you know, it can affect your career. And so people sort of go along to get along. And let me just give you a perfect example. Now, I was an orthopedic surgeon. I'm on call. So that means if somebody in the hospital has an orthopedic issue and it's my turn to be on call, they will call me to manage the orthopedic issue. And the reason they call me is because I'm the orthopedic surgeon. I'm the expert in the area of orthopedics. Now, they call me about a patient, uh, the, the medicine doctors. They call me and they say they got a patient and they're concerned about a septic knee, which means a knee that has an infection in it. And I go, okay, so as the person on call, let me go evaluate this patient. Um I go and I sit down with the patient. I was like, tell me what happened with your knee. And he says, yeah, I fell out of bed and I landed right on my knee and I banged it. And uh, it really hurt and it got red and swollen. And I looked at his knee and I was like, oh, yeah, you got this bruise right here. Is that that? He goes, yeah, I landed right on it. And um, I kind of ranged his knee and he's like, you know, it hurt. But I'm an expert in this, right? It didn't hurt like somebody who has an infected knee. I can tell the difference because I've seen a million infected knees and I've seen a million contused knees and they're different. And you might say, well, how do you know it's different? And it's kind of like uh, the old adage, um, tell me what a beautiful woman looks like. And it's like, well, I don't, I don't know how to describe it, but I know it when I see it. It's the same thing with with an infected knee versus a contused knee. That's why they call it the practice of medicine. And that's why they call it the art of medicine is because it's not necessarily something that you can write down in a book. Anyway, I digress a little bit. The point is I talked to this patient and he even agrees with me that, yeah, I fell, I banged my knee. It hurt a lot. It's been three or four days now. And he says it feels a lot better. So the next thing I do is I go to the computer and I look up his laboratory work. So a lot of times if you have an infection, in your knee, your white blood cell count in your body gets high, right? And so you have an abnormally high white blood cell count. Well, this patient did not. He had a normal white count. There's another thing we look at in the body called the um, um, C-reactive protein. This is a protein that is synthesized by the liver when you're having an acute inflammatory response and his was not elevated, okay? In an infection, you would expect the C-reactive protein to be elevated, um, and you would expect his white count to be elevated. So uh, he also has no fever. A lot of times when people have an infection, they have an elevated temperature. He had normal temperature. His blood pressure was normal. His heart rate was normal. So he had a bruise on the front of his knee. He had a history where he said, I fell on my knee and I banged it. Uh, and it hurt when I first did it immediately after doing it. And it's been three or four days and now it feels a lot better. I go and I look at his lab work. He's got a negative, uh, uh, white, you know, his white blood cell count is normal. His C-reactive protein is normal. He's uh, got normal vitals. He has nothing that suggests he has an infected knee. In fact, it's obvious. Even if you're not even a doctor, I would think you could figure this out or a lot of you could figure this out. So I write in the chart. Uh, contusion will follow it. Now, I'm not saying I'm not going to 
do anything about it. I'm not saying I'm out of here. I'm just saying it doesn't look infected to me. I'm going to watch it for a day, which is a common thing that we do. Like sometimes you need to see something over over time to be able to get the proper diagnosis. But my working diagnosis at this point is contusion, not infection. Well, the infectious disease doctor who called the consult, he didn't like that. So he wrote me up. Can you believe this? He wrote up a, a complaint to the hospital. And I'm sitting there and I received this complaint from the hospital. The hospital wants me to write a rebuttal and go before the ethics committee and all this kind of stuff. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? Do you know how busy I am today? This is ridiculous. Like, he doesn't call me on the phone and say, hey, I disagree. And, you know, like, I want to talk about it like a normal person. He goes and he does this this cowardly anonymous, well, it wasn't anonymous, but he does this cowardly, like, writing me up. And it was because um, he, you know, he's one of these people. He has what we call small man's disease. You know, he's he's got a he's got a chip on his shoulder and he didn't like the fact that he made a diagnosis and that I went against it. Now, he didn't like it so much that he consulted another orthopedic surgeon. Now, the orthopedic surgeon the next day is somebody who's employed by the hospital. Okay, so I'm not employed by the hospital like they don't run my life and they don't tell me, you know, how I have to act and I'm not beholden to them, you know, Uh, but. This guy, this next orthopedic surgeon, he is employed by the hospital. And so, you know, how he interacts with that hospital has a lot higher impact on his career. And so he gets called and, you know, said the the consult is for a septic knee. You go and you read the guy's note and he says doesn't look infected, but whatever. He gets paid by things called RVUs. So for him, he gets money for taking the patient to the operating room. So he takes the patient to the operating room. He does a knee scope and washes it out, which is, you know, that that would be the thing to do if the knee was infected. And he comments in his operative note that the knee did not look infected. So you got this patient who got, in my opinion, this unnecessary surgery. Um, and and the reason he got it was because we're living in this world where we have this one-size-fits-all, top-down, authoritarian a system where, you know, the government runs these hospital systems, these hospital systems are employing the physicians, and the hospital systems want to control the behavior of the doctors, and they have a lot of power that way to control behavior, to control um, politics, and also to make a lot of money. And, uh, it, you know, in my estimation, this is horrible. Now, let me show you another thing. So when I so talking about how the hospital systems and this concept of best practices uh, affects the way we do things, um, there are these drugs called um, statin drugs. There are all these different names, um, simvastatin, and all these different things. We call them statins, and they're a medicine that is designed to reduce your cholesterol. And when we're in medical school, we go through pharmacology, we're taught that if you put people with high cholesterol and cardiac disease on statins, that it reduces their uh, their mortality over time. And so we start putting people on these medicines, and that's a lot of money for the pharmaceutical companies and, by extension, the hospitals. Because anytime you see a human being with this very common problem, they get put on a statin drug. I want you to hear this cardiologist from Britain. Religiously, and don't get side effects. Right, because remember the trials took out people with side effects. He's talking about statin scenario. Your benefit of a statin is one in eighty-three for saving your life, right, and one in thirty-nine in preventing a further heart attack. A lot of people find that quite underwhelming. 
Another way of looking at the statistics, Joe, and this is important for populations, looking at those trials. And when I, when I, what I'm about to tell you, when I talk at conferences to doctors and general practitioners, and, and there's like a gasp from the audience, right, when I tell them this. And this is published in the BMJ. So in the randomized trials, you look at an average. How much, if I ask you that question, right, you've had a heart attack, let's say, for example, and statins are one of those prescribed drugs that are, you know, miracle cure, whatever, the, the, one of the most potent um, beneficial drugs in the history of medicine. If you take those, uh, if you take a statin for five years, having had a heart attack, in that five-year period, how much would you think or hope it would add to your life expectancy? You've, you've literally survived a heart attack, right? And now you've been given this pill, which your doctor's telling you, this is, you must never stop this, this is going to save your life. How much would you hope it would add to your life expectancy over a five-year period, over that period? You know, we can increment 25%, 30%. Yeah, okay, so a few years, about a few years extra, yeah? yeah? On the answer? Yes. Just over four days. Four days. Four you days. Be, you believe that? So I, I'm sitting here. Listen, just to kind of give you perspective, I'm an orthopedic surgeon, and I haven't studied this stuff since medical school, like in 30 years, and it is still imprinted on my brain that people with these cardiac issues should be prescribed statin drugs, okay? And it just makes me realize the power of the system. You understand a lot of people are on Medicare and Medicaid, right? So you go to the doctor and they get tested. It's like, oh, you got, you know, heart disease. You got high cholesterol. We're going to prescribe you a statin. And then they shrug their shoulders like whatever. They don't have to pay for it, right? The, 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 uh, insurance, the Medicare or the Medicaid pays for that drug. Well, where does Medicare and Medicaid get that money from? Huh? Where do they get it? They get it from you, the taxpayer, right? This is the scam. They get to take the money. They get to take it directly from the taxpayer and give it to the hospital and the pharmaceutical companies and all the people in the chain of command here. And believe me, a lot of this money makes it back to left-wing politicians who want to promote the expansion of Medicaid and Medicare. And it's just a big scam. And at the end of the day, that you know, in this particular case, at least, you know, there's four days supposedly of of decreased mortality in it. But what happens when we have a vaccine, right, that's causing problems? And I didn't get to a lot of my stuff today. I'm going to pick this up next time when we're talking about it. But they have the release of a FOIA re- release that shows how uh, the pharmaceutical companies and the HHS and the CDC bought off the um, uh, American College of Obstetrics and gynecologists to promote vaccines in pregnant women, right? And they didn't even study the effects of the vaccine in pregnant women. And now we're seeing all of these miscarriages in pregnant women. Yes, I know a lot of you haven't heard about this, but the numbers are up, all right? And a prime suspect in this overwhelming uh, increase in miscarriages and things like that is the vaccine. Now, of course, if you bring it up, you get canceled and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but it's worth looking at. And, you know, these corrupt arrangements that we're seeing right now that are affecting your health care would not happen if we had a free market health care system where you could count on your doctor having fidelity to you. And the reason you could count on your doctor having fidelity towards you and your needs is if you didn't like the advice and the way I was treating you, you would be free to go see another doctor. In this one-size-fits-all government-run healthcare system, you can't. If you go to one employed physician whose decisions are being uh, controlled by their employer, and then you go to another doctor whose decisions are being controlled by that same employer, guess what? 
you're going to get the exact same answer, and that answer is not necessarily in your best interest. So, uh, you know, I, I want to end with this. I'm going to play this thing a lot because, to me, this is just the best rant ever. Dr. Marty Macari uh, before uh, Congress talking about the greatest uh, spreader of misinformation has been the federal government. Um, so let me find it here. Uh, here we go. I want you guys. We're gonna we're gonna end with this. Listen to this. Ah, and that's been memory hold too. So apparently we can't hear Dr. Marty Macari go off. I'm gonna see if I can find that again. But of course, he did an epic rant where he talked about the greatest spreader of misinformation during the COVID pandemic has been the um, has been the federal government. They've been wrong about masks. They've been wrong about the origins of the virus. They've been wrong about uh, vaccines, their efficacy. Uh, they've been wrong about their side effects. Uh, they were wrong about lockdowns, uh, the negative uh, problems that we had by masking our children, all this stuff in one rant. And, of course, they memory hold it because they don't want you knowing that. Um, maybe we can go out with Russell Brand. Let's see if he's been memory hold because Russell Brand was on Bill Maher's show talking about some of this stuff, and I thought he made some equally good observations. Let's listen to Russell Brand. This is not the place. Nobody likes it. Nobody likes it. Nobody likes it. I wouldn't have mentioned it. I'm English, and you know that politeness is our fundamental religion. But they do pertain to this issue. So may I say something? If they inconvenience you, I'll stop saying them. The pandemic created at least 40 new big pharma billionaires. Pharmaceutical corporations like Moderna and Pfizer made $1,000 of profit every second from the COVID-19 vaccine. More than two-thirds of Congress received campaign funding from pharmaceutical companies in the 2020 election. Pfizer chairman Albert Baller told Time magazine in July 2020 that his company was developing the COVID vaccine for the good of humanity, not for money. And of course, Pfizer made $100 billion in profit. Right. in 2022. Right. And, and may I just mention, finally, and these are, this is also a fact, that you, the American public, funded the development of that. The German public funded the BioNTech vaccine. When it came to the profits, they took the profits. When it came to the funding, you paid for the funding. If you have right. an economic system in which pharmaceutical companies benefit hugely from medical emergencies, where a military-industrial okay. complex benefits from war, where energy companies benefit from energy crises, you are going to well, that to me is uh, well said by Russell Brand. There's nothing there uh, that I personally disagree with. So uh, we're going to pick up this conversation and talking about the tools that this authoritarian left is using to control uh, our behavior, to take away our freedoms and our civil liberties. I want you guys to start committing them to memory right? Appeals to authority. You know, they designate individuals, the FDA, the CDC, and certain experts. They have these fact checkers to take you off the uh, truth. And if you ever see uh, a fact checker being invoked, it's because somebody's trying to convince you that the truth that you see isn't the truth. Misinformation. They want to label things misinformation. They want to get you to believe that if something is misinformation, that you should uh, uh, not consider it. And then flat out cancellation. They'll just eliminate information that they don't like. 
they memory hole it, right? We've seen that a couple times on the show today. Gretchen Whitmer uh, was memory holed. And, of course, we saw Dr. Marty McCarty's rant on government being the greatest spread of misinformation. They try to use this term best practices to get you from going off the reservation uh, and this idea of evidence-based medicine. So we'll see you guys next time uh, on the Doctor's Lounge. I'm Dr. Scott Barber. You're listening to me on America's Web Radio. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.